Hi there, and welcome to chapter six of this audiobook series, Your Inner Game, 12 Principles for High Impact Entrepreneurs. This is the release of the audio version of my number one Amazon bestselling book, and you are getting it all here today as part of a podstorm right here on the Matt Brown Show. This is my way of saying thank you to you for being a loyal listener to the show over the last six years. It is also a way for me to give back to you and to help set you up for your best year yet in business as an entrepreneur. And if you are thinking about starting a business, this book, without doubt, I know, will encourage you to not only get to the start line, but to push, go. And remember, this is a series of uh, chapters, so please go back to chapter one if you have landed here. It's important that you do not miss out on some of the incredible stories that have been recounted to me right here on the Matt Brown Show. And remember, above all else, guys, I'd really love to hear from you. If you love what you hear, if something I've said resonates with you, and you can, of course, tweet me at MattBrownZA. And for more information and for a free copy of this book, you can get a copy at MattBrownShow.com. So without further ado, let's get on with chapter six, how uncertainty opens possibilities. Chapter six, how uncertainty opens possibilities. Player, Ian Fur, founder and CEO of Sorbet. Episode MBS 129. Principle, I will embrace uncertainty. Trust the weight, embrace the uncertainty. When nothing is certain, anything is possible. Mandy Hale. It was 2004. Ian Fur had just sold his business, Supermart, to the Edgon Group. While lying on a massage table one day, having a think about what his next entrepreneurial play was going to be, his beauty therapist said, why don't you consider going into the beauty industry? He thought she was joking. He didn't know anything about the beauty industry at all. I used some Lux soap once or twice a week and that was about it, he said. The sum total of my beauty regime. I used to think a Brazilian was someone from Brazil and that a Hollywood was a place where they made movies, he joked. I also never understood what it was about women and their nails because when I'm at a braai, a barbecue, and a beautiful woman walks past, I've never heard a bunch of guys say, wow, look at those incredible nails. But the question stuck with him, enough that he started doing some research. It soon became apparent that not only was the local beauty industry very fragmented, but on the whole, it was also incredibly unprofessional. Ian and his business partner, Rudy Rudolph, discussed their options. They both came from a retail background and they decided that perhaps there was a way to enter the beauty industry with a professional offering that also had a retail arm, combining what they knew with new territory. And so the first Sorbet beauty salon opened its doors. Right out of the gates, the business was a struggle. We call them the dark days, said Ian, referring to the first four years of the business. The partners had managed to open 22 stores, but no matter what they tried, they couldn't seem to franchise the business, which was their big growth play. On top of that, after investing $19 million into the venture, the business still hadn't turned a profit. Think about it. You build a successful business, sell it, and then sink 19 bar into the venture that after four years still hasn't turned a profit. By that stage, I'd be ill over the uncertainty of what I was doing. And why? There comes a time when you just need to cut your losses and move on. Yes, there are sometimes good reasons to quit, but clearly this wasn't one of them, or Sorbet wouldn't exist today. Displaying his own hard-won grit and perseverance, Ian didn't choose that route. A seasoned entrepreneur, he had overcome his fear and uncertainty way back in 1986, when a business he was running had gone insolvent. 
Ian was sequestrated by the courts and for four long years could not even open a bank account. I've always believed that that was probably my best learning experience by far. The failure itself, as well as the understanding of why the business failed and how you're going to fix it the next time. These are all invaluable for me. Success is not always reachable unless you failed at least once and lost everything, he said. What I love about Ian's attitude is how he looked at the failure through the eyes of how he would fix things the next time. I discussed re-entry rate in chapter 4, and Ian is a perfect example of an entrepreneur who doesn't fit the South African average of a 1.1 re-entry rate. He's enjoyed success because he's willing and able to learn from failure, pick himself up, and try again. He went on to say, If you haven't failed, don't have a fear of failure, or cannot deal with the uncertainty that goes with running a business, it's unlikely that you'll ever become a great entrepreneur. And I couldn't agree more. Solving Sorbet's itch with a creative scratch. The scaling challenge that Sorbet faced was twofold. First, the brand lacked the most elusive of traits, credibility. Too late, Ian and Rudy realized that their name sounded like an ice cream parlor instead of a beauty salon. Hard to imagine today. Second, to scale an in-store experience in a consistent fashion was proving to be a massive challenge. He said, It's hard to create a consistent customer experience in one store, and we were operating over 20 stores, he says. To replicate the experience, Ian focused on design and culture. Across all stores, treatment rooms were moved to the back of the premises and branded retail fronts and service desks installed. But most importantly, the secret ingredient came down to the culture of the business itself. The culture of the organization has always been a focus on people and service rather than money. Once you get that right, the money comes. It seems so obvious and yet often the focus on results persists and people get lost in the wash. The most important group of people in Sorbet are our staff. Without them, we can't be successful. Our core value is servant leadership, which basically means always putting our customers first. But to do that, we need to put our staff first and then they pay it forward. Here's how servant leadership works. First, Ian personally conducts all induction training. My focus isn't on what you do or how you do it, but rather why you do it. Our staff need to believe that we're not selling treatments and products, we're selling a feeling. People want to feel good about themselves, and that's what we give them. Interestingly, once Ian and Rudy started concentrating on building a brand reputation and credibility, franchises followed many of whom started out as customers who loved the brand and then inquired about potentially owning a franchise themselves. Fast forward to today and Sorbet employs over 3,000 staff as over 200 stores which deliver a staggering 350,000 individual beauty treatments a month. Sorbet receives 40 franchise applications every week. Demand is so high that new locations are the biggest challenge for the 15-year-old business. To cope with the ever-growing interest in the brand from both consumers and prospective franchisees, new concepts have been launched like Candy & Co, Sorbet Man, and Sorbet Dry Bars. It's hard to imagine that just a few short years ago, Ian Fur was unable to sell a single franchise. How to Overcome Uncertainty The story of Sorbet is one largely about dealing with uncertainty as an entrepreneur, and what can be achieved when you understand that your tolerance for uncertainty is the prerequisite to succeeding at building a scale business. When it comes to business, there is virtually nothing certain but the uncertain. Feeling unsure and lost is pretty much part and parcel of the entrepreneurial journey. It's virtually impossible to avoid feelings of doubt and fear as a business owner. But here's the thing about uncertainty. 
You will not win the fight against uncertainty by becoming certain. Instead, your certainty will come as a result of embracing uncertainty. All entrepreneurs are, at their core, a little lazy. They see things that no one else sees, and ultimately, whether they're right or wrong, it's not going to stop them from pursuing that vision. It's an important character trait, though, because when you go out there, you're not just selling a product, business, or even vision. You're selling yourself. Entrepreneurs basically spend all their time convincing other people to take a leap of faith with them. Partners, employees, customers, and even suppliers. Everyone becomes a part of the journey. Entrepreneurship is risky business, and with that risk comes a bucket load of fear and doubt. If you can't overcome that fear or at least harness it, a scale business will not lie in your future. Jerry Seinfeld once said that success is the enemy of comedy. What he meant was that once you have a routine that you know makes people laugh, you think you've eliminated uncertainty. So if you come onto stage and you do that routine again and again and again and again, you continue to get laughs. Except we all know that's bullshit. Because you're not the only comedian out there that's trying to get laughs. The idea that doing something over and over and over again will provide you with the level of certainty is a complete illusion. There is nothing about the future that's certain. The only thing that's certain for all of us is death. Anyone who tells you that they know what's going to happen in six months time from now or a year from now is just talking rubbish. There are no certainties. No one knows what's going to happen next. This is the most dynamic world we've ever lived in. You can't control everything that happens, so focus instead on yourself. Are you living your life as fully and as passionately as you can? Be careful though. Don't fall into that trap of, do what you love and the money will follow. That's bullshit too. How about do what you love and you'll love what you do? That's an interesting one. It makes sense mathematically too, since there's no guarantee ever that doing something will lead to riches. Live your life the way you want to live your life, because it's no one else's life and everything that anyone thinks about you and what you're doing and your choices is irrelevant. If you can make money from it, great. If you can't, do what you love as a hobby and find something else to pay the bills. When it comes to uncertainty, you can't be afraid to fail. Otherwise, you won't be able to make the tough decisions. You have to have a sense that it is right, even if you don't have the evidence yet to prove it. I'll leave you with this final thought. Uncertainty is a given, but it can also be an opportunity. No one knows what's going to happen, which means if you can conquer your fear of uncertainty, you can harness it and provide solutions that at least offer some degree of certainty for your customers. Ian and Rudy leapt into an industry that was completely new to them. They included a retail element in their business model, which helped, but ultimately they embraced uncertainty, used their wits, refused to quit when things didn't go quite as planned and built an iconic South African brand as a result. Okay, welcome back. So the only thing certain in business is uncertainty. I love this from chapter six. Um, What leaps of faith have you personally needed to take along your journey, Matt, knowing that the future is always uncertain? You have to believe that Anything is possible. So you have to learn how to embrace uncertainty because when nothing is certain, anything is possible. I've got that tattooed on my arm Uh, because especially now, I mean, things are accelerating, right? In terms of uncertainty, COVID is just the top of my narrative, but you know, the hyperinflation of the, of the financial system, you know, fiat currencies being hyperinflated all around the world. We've got blockchain, we've got 
artificial intelligence, we've got RPA, we've got entire workforces that are likely to be displaced. Some crazy number like 1.2 billion people are likely to be displaced by 2030. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? That's like 20% of the planet. Uh, So what do we do with these problems? And so we have to recognize that in any situation, there is a solution, but you cannot solve a problem with the same point of view that created it it in the first place. You have to change your point of view. Change your point of view and you'll win. It's the same idea like what do you market, the, the problem or the solution as a business? Well, you market the problem. Why do you market the problem first? Well, because then you're accredited with the solution. People automatically want to go to the product. They want to go to the solution. They want to say, hey, buy my stuff. It's cool. It's better than the next guy. It's cheaper. Get it now for less, whatever the story is. But your customers care that you understand the problem And so problems are anywhere. And the trick as an entrepreneur founder is to go out there, pick a problem and solve it for people. But when you do recognize that you have the capacity to solve it, regardless of how hard it is, you know, it's weird. I don't know where it comes from, but we like to solve the small things, the easy things, but it's like, well, why aren't you just shooting for the, you know, why aren't you just shooting for the big stuff? If you want to become a billionaire, solve a problem for a billion people. But don't say you want to be a billionaire, but then you're not prepared to put in the work or make the decision or envision a future or pick a problem, whatever the the requirement is for you. So it is all about believing that there is a better way because solutions that exist today are not the same solutions that are going to be relevant tomorrow because they're created, old, they're created from old points of view. So you create new points of view on this problem And with the technology that you have at your disposal now, it's unprecedented. You've never had more tools in your arsenal. Oh, do you want to scale your applications literally overnight to a million users? Great, there's cloud, right? Everybody has a smartphone. Everyone's a media company. But we oversee these things. We don't give them enough impetus. So that's that's the key for me. It's believing that anything is possible. And I guess not taking things for granted in terms of that. I mean, as we discussed in an earlier chapter, I think that's such an important point and, and the fact that we take so many things for granted as well. So we don't see the problems right in front of us. Like we spoke about earlier, the entrepreneur who is trying to solve the problem of toilet paper and how many trees are cut down every year and the hygiene aspect around it, because we all just take toilet paper for granted that this is the solution that we're stuck with forever. Meanwhile, in the next few years, this might be totally a thing of the past. The key, of course, is to be able to say, okay, what can I change? Don't take anything for granted and and really focus, like you say, on the problem. What I love about this book and everything you've experienced is how many different people you speak to from different industries. And I guess what I want to know is, do you take something away from every interview and and implement it in your businesses as well. I mean, if we use this chapter as an example, Ian Fuhr is in beauty, very different from your tech landscape. And yet I feel that there are some similarities and key points that you are implementing in your own business. Culture, for example, never giving up, finding a new solution to an old industry, those kinds of things. Well, you have to be curious. And I think one of the things that's most overlooked is how much questions you know, determine where we go in life. You ask the big questions, the tough questions, the obscure questions, the questions that don't fit, the questions that relate to something that doesn't make sense. I mean, if you want to build a business, ask yourself, what doesn't make sense for me in my life right now? You know, in terms of product, 
as an example. What doesn't make sense? Because if something doesn't make sense to you, it probably doesn't make sense to a lot of other people. And if that's the case, then you may have an opportunity to build a successful business there. But you have to be curious enough about figuring out, well, is there a better way to do things? You have to be curious. So the thing that you know I take away from all these interviews is the fact that I'm curious. And I'd listen, one of the things that you know, still terrifies me about podcasting is that I don't remember what I say. You know what I mean? You're a prisoner to your own words. (laughs) You can't go back and edit it. It's not a word document. It's not a blog post. It's there forever. And many, in many cases we're live broadcasting. So I don't necessarily remember everything that I say, and I don't remember everything that all my guests say, but there's always something that stays with me. It's a new perspective and it sits there in my mind and it comes to the surface. It bubbles to the surface when I need it. Um, and, you know, I, it's almost cliche. Like there's so many quotes uh, that I have running through my head and I've got so many now that in many cases when I'm interviewing a guest, it's almost like I, I almost have to get so much off my chest to help them understand my point of view. Do you understand? So uh, I always get something from it, but I think the one thing that is true uh, and will be true for the foreseeable future is that we're all trying to figure stuff out for ourselves, you know, Um, and people know more. I would say there's always things you know, but there's always things that you don't know. Uh, And if you're humble enough to recognize that you don't know everything that there is to know about any subject and that someone else will know more about a certain thing than you and you're prepared to be curious enough about figuring out what they know and what their point of view is on a problem. And it can be an old problem, can be a new problem, whatever that is, education, sales, marketing, culture building, whatever the case is, technology, whatever. As long as you're curious about what somebody else's point of view is, then you always learn. It's like I have this saying now, which isn't anybody else's, but it goes like this. The more I podcast, the richer I get. I get richer in knowledge. If nobody listened to my show, I, like it wouldn't make a difference to me because I'm still be- benefiting incredibly from doing these interviews. I'm the one that's benefiting the most. And in effect... By extension, people who follow the podcasts with me, they are growing. And this is why the audience has stuck with me for six years is because they are always learning and growing as well. And I mean, to add to that, the more you know, the more you can connect seemingly disparate dots, right? Which is where these incredible new ideas will come from, particularly to old problems. When you look at things from a different angle or through a different lens, because you've been accumulating that knowledge that's then working in your subconscious mind. That's right. You call bullshit on do what you love and the money will follow. So what's the alternative? I mean, you also mentioned do what you love and you'll love what you do. And um, that's obvious, but that's not necessarily how to build a business either. That's how to have a great hobby. So how do you pull these ideas into business so that you build something sustainable, contribute, and also enjoy what you do. Well, let's talk about purpose because I think the bridge between passion and fulfillment is purpose. So when you are trying to tackle this idea of why do I exist? What am I here to do? You know, it's not something that you find. And I think, you know, one of the things I write about in my book is an experience I had when I was about 10 with my dad. 
um, I'll spare you the detail. You guys can, I would have heard it in this uh, recording prior, but he said to me, one day God's going to ask you what the purpose of your life was and you better have a very good answer. So the, from there it caused me like many, many sleepless nights because I was like, oh, I've got to find my purpose, find my purpose, find where is it? Is it over here in this room? Is it out there in this country? What about here on this email? You know what I mean? And it's ridiculous. You don't find purpose, you create it. And that's really the important thing. You have to be at cause, not effect. Effect is where you are at whim. You're not in control. You're being pushed from pillar to post. Generally, your life lacks fulfillment and, and meaning. You are not fully engaged mentally and spiritually in a problem that exists for the world. Um, and so you are at effect, right? You're going to be just over broke. You're probably in employment. You have a J-O-B. That's fine if that's for you. But for me, it's not fine. So the moment I recognize that you have to create everything, you have to be a cause for everything, you have to be a catalyst for everything. Once you are there, everything starts to, it's like a domino effect. You have to push that first domino over. Otherwise, you're just a passive observer on the game. I love your theory of cause and effect, and you really unpack that nicely in chapter 12. So we'll, we'll, be, we'll be digging into that more as well. Um, for now, I think let's head into chapter seven because all of these golden threads are starting to pull together. And as we reach the halfway mark of your your 12 inner game principles, I think, our, you know, listeners and readers of the book are starting to see how these themes all really work together to help individuals, entrepreneurs, someone who's got a career, even, you know, if you're in varsity, how you can start looking at the world and approaching the world to find meaning in everything you do. Thanks, Matt. Awesome. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.